0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Unstoppable. My name is Kerwin Ray, your host, and today we talk endurance with Lisa Tamady. Lisa is an endurance athlete and ultra marathon runner. This lady is incredible. In 2009, she ran 217 kilometers across one of the hottest deserts on Earth called Death Valley. She has run through the Sahara, the Arabian, the Gobi, and the Libyan deserts, and I'm talking illegally, including the Australian outback. If you're wanting to learn how to develop grit, if you want to learn how to develop resilience, this is going to be the podcast for you. Listen up. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, when the podcast Unstoppable was created, it was about interviewing people who literally have overcome some of the most incredible obstacles in their life. Uh, and today is absolutely no exception. I am super excited to have in the studio today Lisa Tamari. Yeah, get Did I get that right? Yeah,
1: yeah, pretty much, man. Tamati, Tamati, Tamati. The, the Aussies tam- say Tamati. Will we tamati? say tam- Tamati. Tam- tamati. There we go.
0: Lisa, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs>
1: oh, it's an absolute honour to be here, mate. Oh, honestly, when awesome. I,
0: um, you know, when I read more about your story, which we're going to get into today, I was like, literally, was like, as we're going through the preview, it was like, first point, wow. Second point, wow. Third point, <laughs> third point wow. Seventeen points later, I was in there going. Wow, maybe you should be running the <laughs> podcast and not me. No,
1: I'm just very average person.
0: Just oh, I would say that is an absolute uh, that 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 that's your humility coming through. But for those of you who perhaps don't know um, who you are from your uh, your professional and your athletic. Um, you know exploits. Yep. Give us a little bit of a snapshot on, on who Lisa Tamati is.
1: Yeah. So I've been uh, I'm an ultra marathon runner first and foremost, probably that's what I'm known for at least. So I've been doing that for about 25 years, I suppose, which just shows how old I am, really. And you don't look a day over 31. Oh, thanks, mate. I'm 50, <laughs> so <laughs> it's getting harder to to keep it together. Clearly, running <laughs> works. <laughs> but um, so in that time, sort of, I've, I've uh, run over 70,000 kilometres, which is like three times around the equator. That's of, yeah.
0: ar- the equator is around the Earth.
1: Yeah, yes. the equivalent. Of, yeah, yeah, and in bits and pieces. So I've done. Lots in the Sahara, so I've done uh, about 2,000 k's in the different parts, so the Moroccan twice, the Arabian, the Libyan Desert, Niger, Jordan, uh, the Gobi Desert in China, Death Valley in the USA a couple of times, different parts of your beautiful country out here in Australia. Now Um, you did
0: Death Valley, 217 k's non-stop, is that right?
1: Yeah, so that's a race, and this is like a bit like Kona is for the triathletes. Okay. It's um, sort of the world number one race for the ultramarathoners in the world. And the hard thing with that one is, I mean, it's 217 Ks, but it's in temperatures up to 57 degrees. It's the hottest place Holy on earth smokes. in the middle of summer. So that's where the brutality comes in. And you've got a couple of mountains to climb in the middle of it.
0: You also illegally ran through the um, Liberi-
1: L- uh, Libyan. Libyan, Libyan desert, is that right? <laughs> I didn't run. I, I walked that one. <laughs> <Did you laughs> Trying not to get <laughs> shot at? Yeah, yeah, but pretty much. Yeah, was, this was a long time ago now. And that was the first sort of big desert one that I did. And it was expedition for... Four of us, so me and three other guys um and yeah, it was totally illegal We weren't allowed to be there, had to sort of sneak off into the desert in the dark of night and try and not get caught by the military because you'd imagine what would have happened then. yeah, and this was back in 1997. 90, yeah ninety seven and um at the time I was with you know boyfriend with one of the was one of the guys, and he decided to have a big domestic with me in the middle of the Libyan <laughs> desert three days in, and we the hardest thing with this was we had to carry everything on our backs like the entire water supply so we had I had 35 kilos the guys had between 40 and 45 kilos on their back and I only weighed like 57 kilos or something at the time so that was two-thirds of my body weight so trying to walk with 35 kilos when you're dehydrated to the max because you only had two liters of water a day so two liters in those sort of 40 degree temperatures was absolutely nuts if I think back I was like what the hell was I thinking but um, so we, that nearly killed me. It did, did do some permanent damage to my kidneys and things like that. The boyfriend left me on day four. <laughs> Five-year relationship, <laughs> Five year, man. He left
0: you on day four. In the, how do you leave someone in the middle of the desert?
1: <laughs> walking 20 meters off. in front? He was pissed off because I, um, I wasn't helping him do the photography. Right. And I couldn't, man. I was just like on the absolute limits of you know, just walking survival. upright, right. Yeah. Yep. And this type of bloke he was, though. Real hard-ass, like drill sergeant times 10. And so he said, right, that's it. I'm leaving after a big domestic in the middle of the Libyan Desert. Did he leave you in the yeah. desert? Yeah, with the, the other blokes. Right. So he went off on his own. But we didn't know whether he'd survive because it was, you know, it was pretty critical. That's t- that's like, mate. It was a turning point in my life, <laughs> too
0: when I said. Put your toys back in, son. <laughs> this is not the place to do it. This was not the place.
1: <laughs> after that, I thought. Because it it had been an abusive relationship. Yeah, I mean, right. Let's be honest with you. It was a five year long relationship, and he was very um, controlling. Everything was, you know, and at that stage, he was my first love, and you know, I get it. Oh, he looked like Brad Pitt, so that helped. Love is blind. Know. Well, oh, apparently yeah. not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, but how long? What age were you when you got into endurance athlete? Uh, well, and became an endurance I d- athlete.
1: I didn't get into the racing until after that. So, I'd spent already like uh, five years with him doing right. sort of. Um, biking around the world, you know, like doing cycle races or not cycle races, cycling, cycle touring around the world.
0: So you just did it for shits and giggles. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: It was just an adventure life. I was young and, you know. And so when you're you doing these little
0: cycling tours, how long were these little cycling tours?
1: Um, well, they'd be like two, three thousand kilometers ago, and then we'd go and make like a bit me. of money. So
0: we'll just have a little ride. Kimmy, <laughs> you and me, we'll go on Sunday. We'll have a little ride. We'll do two or three thousand kilometers and uh, in bits, you know, <laughs> in, like in bits. Yeah. yeah, in chunks of like 500k. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: Sort of you know 100k, 150k a day, but yeah, with right. your packs on and and sightseeing and just living the life of a young person and having a ball. You well, know? certainly
0: not the average life of a young person. <laughs> what is it that drew you to that? Because when you when you talk about you know even doing 3000ks in in bits and pieces, when you talk about doing you know the the ultra marathons that you've done, it, it that's not a standard psychology. It, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't nah. it requires special upgrades in order to be able to uh, perform at that level.
1: Anybody can do it. Like it's like I have absolutely no talent.
0: I challenge with that because you know when you look, you know I've um I'm quite fascinated by you know performance at very high levels. I've I've done work with a a range of different people and professionals, but there's one group that um that has really kind of changed my psychology on can everybody do it? Yeah. And that's the Navy SEALs as an example. Yeah. They have this training called BUDS. Yep. Where they have an eighty percent you know fallout rate. Only twenty percent get through. And numerous times they've sat they've looked at their psychometric demographic geographic uh, biological profiling to try and increase that 20 percent graduate rate because it's a very expensive program to run and with everything they do they still discover that no matter what to do and no matter how they yep. profile it's still an 80 percent burnout rate yep. of people who get through and so they say well no not everybody can be a navy seal it takes a special kind of person and i would go as far as to say and i hope you don't mind me saying this it's easy to say oh, anyone can be an ultra marathon runner but when you look in the gym as an example, there are some people that know how to train and there are others that just love to love to socialize yeah and their psychology their 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 body or their brain's interpretation to pain is not one of oh this feels good it's what the hell this is not good for me I've got to stop <laughs> What was it that attracted you to 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 this level of gruel?
1: Well, I certainly didn't grow up thinking I was going to be an ultramarathon runner that's right. not you know what you know you don't leave school and go you know I'm going to be a this or that did you do um, sports during school I was a very athletic kid like I, I grew up in a family like my dad was a hard ass and he wanted us to represent New Zealand he wanted us to be the best at sport and in that's what? it where he would if I was a girl unfortunately because he wanted me to be an all-black I couldn't <laughs> be that back then the girls didn't play rugby so that was such a disappointment to him sorry dad <laughs> yeah. so then I was a gymnast as a kid right and I was really good up until I got puberty and then I grew up too tall, too big and not the right shape and size for a gymnast who have to be pretty small and dad was devastated because, you know, I was that close to, if you like, what he thought I was, representing New Zealand. I knew I didn't have what it took in that sport because I was just too tall and too athletic. Uh, you know and I had curves and I had you know so but that created a real problem in my head because I'd failed my dad who wow. I idolised and wanted to be you know please him yeah. as young girls do and so then I went into surfing and you know I was I was used to pushing like he did not tolerate weakness right. he did not tolerate you know he was like you know take a teaspoon of concrete and harden up top yeah, of right. and so that mentality and then I met this Boyfriend, the one that left me in the Libyan desert, and he was exactly the same. So maybe I was looking for some well, they say dad we marry replacement. Our well, yeah. Yeah, 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 something like that. I've, I've definitely worked through that one. Though. Good, good, <laughs> healthy, healthy. Yeah, but that. So I think that influence was I wanted to prove something. In the beginning, I was there to prove my dad yep. wrong or to prove the boyfriend that I could do it because he would tell me all the time I was useless. I could never do anything. I was an asthmatic since I was a little kid. So I had a very small lung capacity, and when I say n- anybody can do this physically, anybody that can. That is agreeable. Yeah, yeah. I've seen people with no legs running across the SAR. I've been people who are blind running across. So I've seen, you know, people with hips replacement, people with broken back. So it, it is up here, but it is that part that you can't probably predict. Yeah. Is that is that that mental side, and and I know that the guys in the Navy Seals will tell you too that they weren't the best athlete, probably, in their class. They weren't the most talented. They were all-round pretty good at everything. Yep. Yeah? And it, it's the same with this. And you have to have that mentality as if I'm, I'm not going to quit no matter what. And I always, always use the analogy of, like, when I'm in the middle of a really – grueling race and I just want to die, which, you know, it's happening every every second of every race, pretty much after 50 k's, you are all knackered. Then I would think things like silly stories, like, okay, you've just crashed in a plane with your mum in the middle of a jungle and you've got to run 200 k's to save her life. What would you do?
0: So that's where you would go. That's where you'd take yourself. That's where I'd
1: take my brain. In other words, if my mum's life depended on it, would I make it? Well, then you can make it you know and because you you galvanize and you let free those that power when you start to visualize like that you pull out things from you that you wouldn't in your normal daily life and so when you're doing these races you are not your normal everyday lisa you know who's you know just average joe when you're in a race you're a warrior you go into battle. You put on your battle armor. When that number goes on, I'm a different person. And I'm focused solely on this one outcome. And when the doubts come and they come, and you've got this massive battle, like the angel and the devil on your shoulders, and the angel's telling you, No, you keep going, you can do it, you're going to make it, and the devil's getting louder, telling you you can't. What the hell are you doing this for? And what are you trying to prove? And why don't you just sit down for five minutes? And all of this sort of negativity. And it's the battle, how long can you push through the torture for, how long can you fight that that battle and overcome to get to the end goal? What you know? do you
0: think is the key? Like if you were to look at one aspect of a psychology, whether it be yours or other ultra-endurance athletes, what is that one thing that makes the difference?
1: We've all got mental health issues.
0: <laughs> no shit. <laughs> no
1: shit. No, I mean that in a serious way, that we've all got something that we're really angry about or that we're really f- – really want to prove something or we really have issues with our self-confidence or something is there that's driving this this incredible and it's releasing this force within you that you can overcome things and I think when like when I started to lose my um, hunger for beating the crap out of myself if you like because it is a lot of torture sometimes that's when you start to lose the edge because you don't have that hunger, you yeah, know? Yeah, right. um, And I've noticed in the last couple of years, when I, and I'll get into that story a little bit later why, but um, I haven't got that hunger anymore in that area. Now it's focused fully on the business side of things, which it's what, still there, but it's not Was was funny, as you were different. describing
0: the gruel of the endurance race, it was almost like you're describing the, the journey of an entrepreneur. Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: Because you've been an entrepreneur since yep. the age of 18 as well.
1: Yep. Yep, not as successful as you, mate. But well, we're yeah. all in the same game. Oh, I just, well, I could never be put in a box. Yep. I cannot work under someone, you know, some corporate box. It just kills me. I tried to work for an insurance company out of school. I nearly died. I was sick physically every day. I hated it yeah, right. being held in. And I just wanted to be in charge of my own destiny, and I still want to be in charge, you know. And that's been an up rocky, you know, all over the place ride. But that's seen me do things like, you know, uh, documentary production to TV shows to hyperbaric oxygen therapy clinics to jewelry manufacturing. To I've been you've everywhere. done quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 some successfully, and some completely not. Um, now, now my focus is really on that
0: how how much has um, your athletic experience prepared you or made you a better entrepreneur when oh. it comes to the psychology of it
1: uh, this is something like i've you know been a speaker for the last 13 years as well and this is what i talk about there is just absolute one-to-one parallels between yeah. being an entrepreneur and being uh, in, in success in life and success in sport they are all parallel because it's the same mindset yeah it's it might be a different um, arena that you're playing in but it's the same principles and the same mindset and you have to have that you know willingness to fail and fail fast and just keep going and you
0: know and be able to deal with that pain yeah yeah what is your relationship with pain like because some people look at pain like i think of you know people that i've known who trained before and you know they, they whether they do an, any kind of exercise with the yoga or they lift a weight the moment it starts to hurt they their body their relationship with pain is oh my god this is bad yeah and they like oh my god i have to stop immediately yep other people they don't necessarily have that same relationship what's your relationship with pain yeah
1: i i, I don't like pain I'm not masochistic in, you know, in tendencies, but I understand the value of going through pain in order mm. to get there is no strength without the struggle. You don't get stronger if there's not a resistance to you get, you know, like weights or yeah. a resistance training or, you know, doing karate or doing whatever. It's all about fighting through what's hard because then you get then your body changes, but not only your body changes, your mind. And your mind gets able to handle more pain the more you do it. So the more pain you put yourself through, the more that you can cope with it, if you like, and for the longer.
0: So do, something I, I find curious is some of the most successful entrepreneurs uh, have either been athletes or they express their passion in some form of athleticism. Mm. Is that part of your, like when you're working with other people? Because I know you, you do a lot of coaching with people as yep. well. When you're working with a client, is that something you work on, their ability to be able to physically endure pain through some form of physical expression?
1: Yeah. I mean, I mostly do coach athletes, so runners and body transformation as well. Okay. Um, So it is, yeah, the thing I can't teach them is, I uh, I can teach them the skill, the mental skills and the, the skill sets, but they have to experience themselves and they have to take ownership over it they have to be willing to go through the crap. And I'm so lucky that I have amazing people that I get to work with who do incredible things, you know. Uh, Our head coach at our company, who we've trained for years, is just doing a challenge at the moment, 12 ultras in 12 months, over 100 kilometres. Wow. You know, destroying his body completely. Um, In the last couple of weeks, he's had some failures. And for me, like, he's left every, like, he had a (laughs) broken leg at 30 k's last week and he ran to 156 of the 160 oh. and then before his body he went into shock and they had, he had collapsed and they had to take him out at four k's before the end oh. but that's the type of people yeah. that you get to work with i've had guy, you know made of mine we were running 24 hours races for the national team in england he and his leg broke you know and we, they had to literally drag him off and say so you cannot carry on he was trying to run with a broken leg
0: you know it's, it's funny because people would be listening to this going that's fucking crazy <laughs> <laughs> it is. But they'll go, That's cra- why would you do that? But when you compare an entrepreneur in a similar space, sometimes it's very similar. They yep. may not have a broken leg. They may, not have, they may just have a broken pen. But sometimes it's like being a, It's like trying to drag someone off a racetrack yep. when they're doing what it is that they love. But one of the things that I'm noticing with you is you. you don't, it's not that you like the pain, mm. but you've got this ability to deal with it. Yep. Um, the Navy SEALs, they identified that trait as grit. And Grit is it like is a form of resilience, but the way that they define it is the ability to suffer without withdrawal. So what I'm curious to know from you is when you're working with someone, because again, I want to make this as practical as possible, whether it be in the athletic space, endurance space, or in the entrepreneurial space, what are some of the exercises that you can do with people in order to harden them up, in order to build a level of resilience or yeah. build a level of grit? Because one of the things that I've learned, observed is some people either have it or they don't. Yeah. Okay, and the people that have it, fantastic. I'll hire them on the spot, right? Or I'll work with them on the spot. The people who don't, they often sit there left there going, well, okay, I don't have this ability to suffer. I hate pain. I don't like to fail. How do I change? How do I develop that skill?
1: And that's a hard one because, I mean, obviously, you and I both probably pick the one who has got the grit. Yep. Over the person who has maybe the talent, but yep. rather work with someone who's got to fight for it.
0: Absolutely. Um, and
1: I prefer that. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, obviously a lot of people don't. No. Um, and I, I don't really have an answer for that because it you have to, well, you can work with someone and you can try and it will take time. Yep. That you start to get to open their mind up to the possibilities of what they can do.
0: Do you think there's a, the there's a, the physical the the body is the conduit to develop grip? Yep,
1: yep, I do. I, I think yeah, I think it goes hand in hand. Um, but because you can they're, get they're,
0: someone to do math problems all day day all day long with like, yeah, uh, I'm getting a headache. Yeah, but it's not until someone experiences physical pain that yep. they can push through that they really learn their you know their own potential limitations. Yep.
1: and you know what makes me so sad when I see people who are young people who perhaps are overweight or they haven't they've never done any. F- sport in their lives they're stuck behind a computer or whatever and they don't understand the power that lives within their body Mm. but before they get old you know like let's let's explore what this body can do before you know like and and then they get old and they never knew what they missed out on they never knew what their body was capable of doing and yeah we've all got a use-by date on us um but if you've experienced the power of your body and what it can do, then your mind is blown as to what you can achieve that, anywhere.
0: That's actually quite profound. Like Because when you think about it, there is a whole generation of human beings that are coming through right now that have no connection between what their own physical potential is yep. and what they're actually doing in terms of sitting behind a computer every day. That's quite Stears profound. the crap out of me. Wow, it, wow. It's the first time I've actually considered it in that way. It's like, wow, that's a lot of potential that is going completely unrealized. Yep. Life hasn't been an easy journey for you. You know, you've touched on a few things already. Um, You've had your own battles with with mental illness. Tell Mm -hmm. me about that.
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, back in the days when the Libyan desert times and, and, and going through that abusive relationship where I slowly lost the power over everything I did and everything was controlled and then... When, when I broke up with that person, I had nothing. I had no self-esteem, no confidence, and running is what rebuilt my life, basically. Right. That's why I think I ran so long, because it was like I'm just running. because was therapy? The physical pain alleviates the mental pain, briefly. And yeah. I've seen this in lots of other ultramarists. When you're in a physical pain, you're, you're f- totally focused on that and the challenge. And you're not focused on the depression, the the sadness, the the brokenness of you. And it starts to slowly rebuild you over a period of <laughs> time. And it becomes a positive addiction, if you like. Yeah.
0: Well, it's cathartic, right? It's quite healing. It is. Yeah.
1: Going through that physical pain can be quite cathartic and, and, and healing as well as empowering. And then somewhere along the, the, the career, it shifted into no longer wanting to prove anything to any particular person but wanting to do good with the skill set that I had so it goes into doing things for charities and you know running I ran through New Zealand at one stage for cure kids and canteen and you know kids with cancer and stuff do you remember
0: the moment that there was that shift where you went from trying to be you know prove something to the world to hang on I've got nothing to prove anymore I've actually uh, through this process I've actually healed my mind in so many ways. Now I can do this for a higher purpose. Like do you remember what was going on in your life at that th- time?
1: Yeah, it's only probably eight years ago I'd yep. say that really that shift happened. I'd gone through a divorce when I was thirty-eight, so I was married to an Austrian. Um and I lived in Austria for thirteen years and he he was an ultramarathon runner too, and my marriage broke up and won't go into the details of that crap, but it was I lost everything. I lost my house, my business, my my country that I was living in. Came back home to mummy and daddy's, you know, with my tail between my legs at 38 with no money, no life, no kids, no nothing. And I felt like I'd been a complete failure. And that's when I decided to run through Death Valley. And right. that, Yeah. Because <laughs> I was, you know, <laughs> working through shit. Yeah, right. And
0: Is that what you do? Is that your go-to place now? <laughs> like when you've got shit going? on, Like, yep. okay.
1: Got to go for a run.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've got <laughs> stuff going on. In my life, I need to do a bit of a run. But your yeah. run isn't, I'm just going to go run down the block. I'm just going to run across fucking Death Valley or the Sahara <laughs> case, or the Himalayas. Back then it was. Like yeah, now right. it's
1: more around the block and go to the gym and yeah, hit right. some weights. You know, I'm into the weight training. And but I guess losing a
0: marriage, married for 13 years. Yeah, that's, or, that's well, a, I was that's Over there for 13. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it, was, it was
1: heartbreaking because yeah. I loved them. You know, I yeah. was just like completely out of the blue and it broke me. And at thirty-eight, you know, you should have your shit together, you know. And that thing well, is thanks. like.
0: Thanks, I'm forty-four. I'm still fucking working it out. But <laughs> yeah, but t-
1: t- tell me about <laughs> it. You and me both, right? <laughs> yeah, we well, certainly. I'm, you know, you're not. You haven't arrived. <laughs> no, I know. You never do. <laughs> you never arrive. It's yeah. a myth.
0: There's lots of false flags.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then I spent years like with self-esteem issues. You're a woman, you know, hitting nearly 40. You've got no partner. Who the hell are you? You're useless. You're ugly. You're a fat reject, you know. And, wow. and that's sort of a mindset's going on in your head. And running is one way that got me out of that, you know. And I did Death Valley. That was a huge success for me. Then I had my books come out. And I slowly... Was I that knew quite that a turning point for you? Massive. Yeah. And I'm so glad I went through that. Don't want to go there again, but yep. I'm glad I went through it because it, it made me, force me to become an individual. It forced me, I just wish if I could go back to my younger self, say, off those guys and yep. just focus on being self-confident, being who you are, instead of searching for that other half to fulfill you, you know?
0: You know, it's so funny that so many people spend so much of their life in relationships trying to find themselves when in reality, it's not until we spend a, a, a decent, a decent period amount of time by alone. ourselves. Yep. And that's the beauty of Ultra, isn't it? Yeah. You really are forced to face your demons. <laughs> you're you know? you're confronted, confronted with who
1: you are, your character. It's
0: like it's like a running meditation. Yep. <laughs> so it's yep. like it's not just sitting there in the meditation of the mind. You've also got your brain, brain screaming oh you as Yeah, well.
1: like I, I know you're a big fan of meditation and I physically can't sit still for five minutes. So my meditation... Is running or yeah. is doing some sort of a sport. I get into a meditative state there for a while, especially with running, and I think that that's mo- you know. So meditation doesn't have to be in a silence, you know, sitting in a yeah. in a room somewhere. It can also be like that, and you do sometimes when ultra marathons get into that transcendent state for brief periods and uh, you come back out of them unfortunately let's
0: talk about that for a second because you know i do a lot of uh, i've got a huge in- interest in transcendent state altered consciousness yep. and i've i've heard about a lot of runners that reach that point of it's almost like beyond the runner's high yep. where it is transcendent and there's almost like there's higher connection with this higher being or this higher force of this divine energy have you experienced
1: it? yeah I have experienced it the thing is like people have this misconception that you're in that space the whole time where yep. you're not you know you might get there for brief periods of a couple of hours if you're lucky and you're sort of in this zone where you're like I can do anything and achieve anything and I'm connected and then you come crashing back down to earth and it's <laughs> like uh, again, I want to get back <laughs> take me back yeah.
0: well, what does it feel like and, and, and did you have a way to access it whilst you were running or nah. is it something uh, and would I've just never, happen.
1: I've never been able to get the formula right where yeah, you can right. tap into that state. Unfortunately, I st- yeah, uh, it, it's it's something that. But comes. did you and other
0: runners used to sit around and talk about it?
1: Yeah, yeah, we would talk about that sort of thing, and, and it, it would typically happen when you've gone beyond you know, the limits of what you ever thought possible and in those moments where you're still going and you suddenly realise, you know, hey, I'm in this other space, you do get, um, of course, you get things like hallucinations as well. So whether it's a, you know, your brain's actually shutting down or something and you just think you're all super-duper and connected... Um, you know, I know, you know I've had friends who, are, you know, talking to their dead loved ones and stuff because they're yes. in a, you know, you're a space cadet a little bit.
0: Well, it's interesting because you know the the, the, sharp, the, the you know the sharp many different cultures have used everything from you know uh, sweat uh, sweat lodges, yeah. psychedelics, you know, pl- different plant medicines in order to induce those states, in order to have those mystical experiences. But it was interesting when I was reading about in the book called Stealing Fire. I yeah, I read it, it. Yeah, really yeah, interesting book they were talking about you know aspects of performance where you know runners were having these runners highs and they were uh, having a psychedelic like transcendent experience where they were hallucinating they were talking oh, yeah. to dead loved ones they were having these these you know these contact and communication with beings.
1: Yeah, and the doctors will explain that you know that you've run out of glycogen, your brain's fried, and you have sleep deprivation, and you know all of those sort of things. And that's probably physically on a physical level true. Yeah. Um, but it's a yeah. You do sort of you come back changed. You come back altered from these sort of things, and like altered better. Yeah. Well. Often you come back from a big event, and this is what I tell my athletes too: is don't get divorced, don't have a baby, don't t- start taking drugs, don't do anything stupid. And that week when you come back from a big event, because you're in an altered state of mind, yeah, and you're liable to do something. You you usually come back to your office job or whatever, and you're like, "What the hell? Where the hell? You know, this doesn't make sense anymore." Wow!
0: Don't make any big decisions. Don't make
1: any decisions because you're in this weird place of, "I've just been through something epic, yeah, and nobody gets it." And my, you know. My wife doesn't get it. My husband doesn't get it. My kids don't get it. Nobody gets wow. me, and so you you get this, and then you get a depression you know, often yep. because you've taken all Coming the serotonin down. and everything's yep. you know emptied your body out of hormones, and so you, if you know that as a coach, you can you know help that them is ride so that fascinating. out. Didn't know that back in the Why day. Is,
0: the reason it's so fascinating because Stealing Fire put me onto a whole range of different books to study psychedelic psychedelic therapy in yeah. terms of performance and you know therapeutic treatment. And um, you know, with some of the books that I read, I don't know if you've got any interest in, in psychedelics, but there's a book by a guy called Dr. James Fadiman where he talks about the entheogenic process that, that they used LSD for oh, okay. back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s in order to heal, you know, all sorts yes. of psychological issues. I've
1: read a bit about that.
0: And the same, the same, but again, they would basically deliver a substance in a in a controlled environment, take them on a transcendent mystical experience, but when they came back, their first piece of advice was, okay. Don't make any big decisions for the first thirty days. Oh
1: wow, that's funny.
0: Because you are in an altered state of consciousness, you've had an uh, you know an entheogenic, a life-altering, you know, cathartic healing as well as mind-expanding experience. Just allow the integration to take place in the next thirty days, but don't make any big decisions. And wow. so when you said that, I was like, "Holy crap!" You that worked that out on the other level. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. That's that's really fascinating. <laughs> I have to start reading about that. Honestly,
0: yeah. Yep. I think you know because I, I think a lot of attention's given to cannabis for a whole whole range of great reasons, which is awesome. Yeah. But when you actually start to look at the research into psychedelics when yep. it comes to the treatment of a range of different you know mental health issues but also from the microdosing perspective from performance, you know, as it, it uh, alludes to in Stealing Fire, not just at the professional, uh, not, not just at the athletic level, but at the, you know, at the executive level. And in some cases, you know, in just in general performance, it's absolutely quite fascinating yeah. to see, you know, what's coming out of it. I think it's the, the next and, revival. And allowing this, like, the, you know, oh, they've man. got to
1: allow these studies. They've well, got to give them a the chance to What to I, do I find it.
0: interesting about psychedelics, it is literally one of the most studied substances uh, on the planet and there's you know, hundreds if not thousands of research papers been published by Harvard, Stanford, and some of the top universities around the world where they've proven unequivocally their therapeutical benefit, wow. but because it became so mainstream because of the likes of the guys like Tim Leary who were a little bit cowboy-like, they actually suppress it. And I have a theory actually. I haven't talked about this before. Um, what they were discovering, there were, there were some psychotherapists that were discovering they would take a client on one entheogenic journey and they were having full recovery wow and these were in some cases maybe i need that well these were in some cases patients who had been under therapy for as long as a decade wow so you've got to understand that that could be quite challenging to the medical to the medical community where you know they've got this programmatic therapeutic model where you have to keep coming back and pay your two hundred dollars every month get me
1: started we'll go there in a minute (laughs)
0: yeah versus (laughs) you come in you have a 12-hour you know six-hour eight-hour entheogenic journey there's a high probability you come out healed yeah, that's gonna. That's something gonna fuck with the, the therapeutic model. It's also gonna fuck with the pharmacolo- oh, pharmacological yeah. model as well. But anyway, that's gonna make a few no, heads spin. No, yeah,
1: no, um, yeah. If we're allowed to go down that track, I'd like to talk about a, a journey that I've been on the last three years Please. with my mum. <clears throat> so anyone who knows me knows that me and my mum are like, you know, like this. We're very close. Peas and carrots. Yeah, she's been my rock through all the shit that I've, you know, thrown at her over the years. <laughs> you can imagine having a daughter that does stupid <laughs> shit. What <laughs> that's <laughs> like. Um, and three years ago, she had an aneurysm, which is a massive bleed in the brain. Yeah. And um, we had one medical balls up after the other. And I'm writing a book about this, journey because I want not to throw rocks at anyone in particular, but I want to highlight some some major flaws in our system, and also show the, the the path forward. So, Mum, when she was taken up to the emergency department, they said, "Oh, she's got a migraine." So they ignored the fact that she was the, the ambulance driver said stroke or CVA or something like that ignored him six hours we were in there she had another aneurysm in front of the doctor's eyes he still ignored us i ended up getting a mate of mine who's a ultramarathon runner and a paramedic she came up and i said they're not listening to me get me help and she came up and um had took one look at mum who, and she knows that she's not a neurotic old lady who complains about everything she knew she was in deep shit because mum would die quietly that's mum wow And um, so she managed to convince this doctor to get a CT scan and came back blood right throughout the brain. And so then we were on this massive journey of, she could die at any minute, we had to get her down to Wellington, air ambulance and so on. So 18 hours before she got into surgery. The upshot of it was she was in and out of a coma for three weeks, you know, majorly critical. That's when my life changed on a dime. That's when I stopped doing ultra marathons pretty much at that point and you know i was focused on her and what i saw in the medical world really gave me like there were amazing surgeons that did amazing things um but she should have been in icu from the start it was all it's all about money Mm. and when you're an older adult they don't give a shit. basically after 65 it's like oh well if they die it's fine you know it's not fine anyway she was left after three weeks she came out of the coma She stabilized but she was pretty much gone like she was not much over a vegetative state. she had a couple of words she had no memory she didn't know i was a daughter she couldn't control any body functions she couldn't you know push a button she um was completely like a baby in a, a woman's body and they said look she's not going to live very long you have to put her in a rest home we, she was in hospital for two months i had battle after battle with them um, I picked up things like that she had sleep apnea, I brought in outside consultants, because I was just study, 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 finding way, and I'd had a lot of experience at altitude, so I knew what um, oxygen deprivation did, and she was exhibiting signs to me that yeah, she right. was, and so I picked up, she had sleep apnea, brought in an outside consultant, came back, severe sleep apnea, wasn't breathing at night, knocking off whatever wow. brain cells she had yep. so then she started to have little bits of recovery and then i went okay so oxygen what else can oxygen do and then i discovered, discovered um hyperbaric oxygen therapy yep. which has been used right around the world mm-hmm. um, for a whole plethora of things but it's used for brain damage yep. overseas but not in new zealand yeah i studied under a dr harch for four months i read everything i did d- designed protocols and then i had to get her access to a hyperbaric chamber well they don't grow on trees and I, but I found a commercial dive company that would let me access their their chamber. And so when she was let out of the hospital, that was a battle in itself. Um, they said, you have to put her in a rest home, you know, hospital level care, two people around the clock, you're never, ever going to cope. And the social worker you know, said, you, you're going to fail and something. And I took my books into them, I threw them at them and said, this is who I am and I'm not giving up my mum and I'm not putting her in a home. You better freaking give me the caregivers that I need. He wouldn't listen and so i got my brother who looks like the rock he's huge <laughs> he came in he scared the crap out of this guy we got the caregivers that we needed we got the resources and i don't approve of that but hey whatever it takes, what it to, takes. whatever it takes to this as far as my family's concerned is whatever it takes so i managed to get her home with some caregivers in the morning and the evening changes to the home etc and took her down to this hyperbaric chamber in this commercial dive company and these wonderful people gave us access. They gave me a back technician two hours a day. Wow. And I put her in there, <laughs> a huge risk, you know, but I got sign-off from her neurosurgeon. No other doctor would give me sign-off, but he, did. he said, you've got nothing to lose. She's not going to be here long if you don't, so yep. give it a go. Did the 33 treatments with it, and then the chamber had to be taken off offshore for a contract. But in that 33, she started to wake up and come back. Wow! And so then I went. Okay, I've now I've got to mortgage the house. I've got to buy a chamber. So <laughs> I did I love that. The way you work. <laughs> I bought a chamber. I installed it in the house. So I, I got. Um, I, I worked out the protocol for her. And then when she, I would put her in there every day, which was a huge job, because she couldn't move anything. And I spent hours every day just moving her body, trying to keep it mobile while she she couldn't control anything. And then she started to wake up slowly by bit by bit. She started to be able to talk. She started to be able to remember me. But she had no control over her physical body. And then she got to the point where she could sit by herself, you know. Without, and then she could feed herself. Wow. And then she, and then she started to be able to talk. And and then, the, and she came back to me. I just developed a program, and tried to stay one step ahead of her. And I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physio. I'm not anything. But I did just you use
0: CBD oils by any chance? Yes, you did I did. Because use it? yep. it's used for now, hi, you know, hypoxia yep. and yep. stroke treatment. Yep. yep.
1: She's still on those. I imported drugs out of America. I played doctor basically. Have you heard
0: about psychedelic therapy for brain injury?
1: No, I okay. have new. Neutrophil- but we talk about okay. definitely. If you've got anything, I'm into. Well, learning. I can I
0: can certainly put you in the point in the right direction. As I said, Fatiman's book. There's a there's, there's a whole range of different books out there. But what they've discovered with psychedelics, especially on the microdose level, yeah, is it releases 5 H two T A. Yeah, yep, I know which what
1: that. Which
0: releases a BDNF, which is brain derived nootropic factor yep. and glutamate. Yep. And so the BDNF acts like miracle grow, and they actually have they they theorize and they believe, and and there could be some evidence out there, but it's probably anecdotal. That it actually encourages the production of new neurons. It's like It was described by um, uh, Albert Hoffman, the yeah. originator, as miracle growth for the brain. Wow. And so, at, so there are early studies out there that you can find that where oh, psychedelic on. therapy has been used to treat stroke, to treat hypoxia and other forms of brain injury because of its ability not just to produce new neural networks, but here's the cool part. It disrupts what's called the... Um, default mode network and the default mode network is basically your your neural neurons wired together in a particular way and that's the way you think it's the way you view the world and yep. what happens is that it actually suspends your your default mode network and gets other neurons connecting so wow. it encourages neuroplasticity so it encourages new neurons to start communicating to one another which actually gets different parts of the brain active which cre- creates new insights new thoughts new behaviors oh my
1: god i've got to see i've got and to it's learn perfect about this for
0: addictive behaviors compulsive behaviors because it literally disrupts the pattern of the way you think the
1: reinforcement of those same exactly part. oh man i mean i'm absolutely into this research
0: stuff. my thought is always you know and you yeah, are yeah. you're a student student first practitioner yep. second yep. you know do, do the learning do the research and first. i'm not
1: waiting for freaking 30 years of clinical trials either <laughs> <laughs> i get we'll you we'll be dead yeah, yeah. well i've you know? got three brain injuries
0: i don't know if you, you, you probably yes know i my do yeah. i've got a few brain injuries myself and you know i wasn't going to sit there and wait for the medical community to come and, and, and serve me you know i was trying to get hyperbaric <laughs> treatment when i had my <laughs> stroke and they're like well no because then there was very difficult to get so i when I was in Santa in the US, I'd get it in Santa Monica. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. but it was very difficult to get over here. So I. I, I oh, so you know point.
1: all about it. You do. Yeah. Hey, we we definitely got to talk about that because I'm I want to take mum to the next level. So I mean, the upshot of so mums you still have are, the hyperbaric at home. Yeah, yeah, I've or, got it, and you still got the hyperbaric. I um, actually opened a clinic, and then because right. I, I wanted other people to have it. And then I've ended up selling the clinic because I couldn't run so many businesses, you know, with me, just me. And so, but I've still got one of the chambers and I still put mum in it and I still use it myself. You use it yourself for uh, recovery? Yeah, and anyone else, you know, my family. And what have you noticed,
0: apart from the. The, the rehab with mum, what have you noticed from a recovery perspective using the hyperbaric?
1: Um, it's very, uh, it's super powerful, but you need enough treatments. And what what I have is a, a mild right. hyperbaric chamber. Okay. So I don't have the big medical grade one like she had for the first three treatments. Is it like the, the, the
0: plastic canvas reinforced yeah, yeah,
1: one? Yeah, yep. So it's a blow up uh, yeah. inflatable. So it goes to, our one goes to 1.5 atmospheres, which yeah. is perfect for brain injury. Now for, um, you know, wounds and stuff, it would be better if it went to 2, 2.2, 2.5, right. but we, you can't do that with a mild. Hyperbaric, You have to have the medical-grade facility and the oxygen and all the gotcha. rest of it. Um, but basically what it does is it hyper-oxygenates the body. And, I mean, I've done – when I did uh, races at altitude, like I did a 222k race over the two highest passes in, in the world, over the Himalayas, and in preparation I had this tent that took a part of the oxygen out of the air and I slept in it every night and tried to adapt. And I wow. ended up with a brain concussion because I listened to my ex-husband when he said turn it up to 6,500. Never listen to your ex husband <laughs> 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 under any circumstances <laughs> unless i'm your ex husband <laughs> <laughs> the moral of the story was he nearly killed me, Wow, so I ended up with a massive brain concussion and infections right throughout the body, so I w- knew what the power of the opposite was, yeah okay. you know, and having been at altitude three times in you know different expeditions and stuff, I knew what it did, and so that 's why I was like, hey, this makes sense to me, so i 've got to get her access to it. Now, like, mum is three years into this journey, and mum's reading, writing, walking, talking. Wow. She's got her full driver's licence back. She's fully wow. functioning. She can, she's w- still slow walking. Her yeah. balance is still – we're still working on that. But she, this is for a person who they said would never, ever do anything again. Who's going to be under care for life. This to them, because, yeah. you know, like – and that's why I'm writing her book, because I want – like, mum was lucky that she is the type of person who will do whatever I say. I mean, in the beginning she didn't have a clue what was going on, but later on she's taken up the fight. So she's a stubborn and, you know, she's never been an athlete, but she's got that, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Yeah. I'll take whatever pill you give me, I'll do whatever to get it back. It seems like
0: there is a bit of a, a family trait here because you, you, and I think that I kind of accidentally left this out, you're an ultra, ultra, a, ultra marathon athlete with severe asthma.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I was born like, you know, I, I was diagnosed, I think at, at a year and a half old or so, and I really struggled with my asthma through my childhood years, especially in and out of hospital and so on. So I've got a very small lung capacity, a very, very low VO2 max. I don't have, and when it's what I say, you know, anybody can do this. Yep. I could not go fast. So, you know, you put me in a local 10k race so I might be in the middle if I'm lucky but you put me in a 200k race and I'll just keep chugging. I'm a tractor, not a Ferrari. You yeah, know? right. I could, and that's one of the reasons I did deserts because it's hot, dry climates, you know. So, um, uh, but the last few years I did stuff in the Himalayas just because I like push outside the. I like to go outside so the box, and it certainly pushed my limit. That's so sure.
0: um, you've got quite a, an incredible journey happening right now, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 This is
1: the other. So um, for years I've been with my husband. And I'm remarried uh, to a wonderful man. He's a fireman and um, he's a very good bloke and he's just absolutely lovely and for years we've been trying to have children and obviously I've done permanent kidney damage I've, I've had, you know, tumours in my uh, lady bits and like a year and a half ago or two no, two years ago now I started having massive bleeding and, and so on so um, they said I had to have a hysterectomy and I was like, I was still trying even though I'm very old I was still trying to have a kid so I just don't give up so they said you're going to die because you're... Have to go. I had to be in hospital. When you say very old,
0: how old do you? uh, How old are you again? Fifty. Fifty. Okay, (laughs) let's (laughs) redefine. (laughs) Redefine because you're 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 mature. You're very mature young. There we go. How's that?
1: Yeah, and I. You know what I do? I sit in my head and I actually tell myself on a day-to-day basis, I'm 30, I'm 30, I'm well, you 30. don't look 50. I'll tell you <laughs> right
0: now, you do not look 50.
1: <laughs> you have to say that, really, yeah. do no, you? No, I don't we have do to it. fucking say anything. <laughs> <laughs>
0: this is my show. I can say what the fuck I want.
1: <laughs> no, but So I, you've been yeah. trying. You had yeah, to have the yeah. hysterectomy. Well, they told me I had to, and yeah. I said, nah. And for, so for a year, I was in and out of hospital because I had to have blood infusions, uh, transfusions every week because wow. I, I was just bleeding so badly, like too much information. But in other words, they told me I needed it, or you're going to die, and I said, no, I found another way. And I got on top of it, and I didn't need a hysterectomy, but I still didn't get to have the baby. So then um, we lost one. We got um, lost one at 12 weeks, which was devastating at the age of 46. And so I'd almost given up, but not quite. And then this year, I went in the magazine, Woman's Day, and I said, I'm looking for a surrogate mum. And so one of the girls that I was coaching, he said, oh, I'll do it. And so she's now five months pregnant. Wow. <laughs> and so, yeah, we're going to be parents of me at 15. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared shitless, to oh, be fair. Be.
0: Oh, you should <laughs> Thanks, be. You should be. But honestly, you're you're clearly excited <laughs> for the right reasons.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. My, my husband will be a wonderful dad.
0: You'll be a wonderful mum.
1: I'll probably be a real hard-ass mum, but, you know. Well, actually,
0: I was going to ask you, like, what have you learned from your parents that you think you're either going to do... Because you know that's an important part, or maybe do differently.
1: Yeah, I'm still working on that because I'm scared now. Like, you know, being responsible, as you well know, for a little one can be life changing. Yeah, it is. And I don't want to make the mistakes or stuff that happened to me, but by the same token, when you mollycoddle a child, it's going to turn out spoiled. So sometimes hardship is a good thing. I don't know. It's
0: it's knowing the balance. And, and, you know, the more I learn about child psychology, the more, in fact, I am uh, in shock of. Um, What creates resilience? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, like honestly, because I used to think very much like you, in order to build a strong children, they need to have a little bit of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that is an aspect of it. But one of the things that I've discovered through my own research in child psychology is in order to build strong, you know, independent adults, you have to create very safe environments for children. And children need to feel safe in order to develop independence. Yeah, emotionally safe. Emotionally safe, physically safe, you know, psychologically safe um and you know i think old school mentality parenting style it it, it we, we never took that into consideration no if a child was melting down we'd give them a hard time and send them to their room you know if they were having a melt melted down we didn't go oh it's okay we'd say H- here's a teaspoon of cement you know harden the fuck up
1: yeah that's different and one the of the border. things that
0: i'm now learning <laughs> is the importance of when the when, you know how a child's brain actually develops fundamentally determines how healthy they are as an adult yep and it's important for us as as parents because I'm a bit of a hard-ass like you, but yeah. I've had to learn, you know, for me, one of the greatest things, and I've got a little bit of a feeling this is going to be very similar for you. By being a parent, it's given me the opportunity to parent myself yeah. in the way that I wanted to wow. be parented. Yeah. And as a result, it's been incredibly cathartic. Yeah. But it's also been really fucking scary because you yeah. see those old patterns of mum and dad's coming out. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, oh, hang on, that's this not isn't me. Good. Yeah. But then you start to realize, where did they get it from? Hmm. And you start to go, well, hang on, maybe we can break the cycle you know and do something differently i
1: think you're very wise and I, and I know and i i'm an open book on this i really don't know which way to get you know i'll deal with the challenges that come i suppose oh, you but yeah. look
0: if we can help there's a great book and i recommend this to any parent new or, or old parent out. that's called discipline without damage yep by dr vanessa lapointe one of the top world one of the world's top child psychologists and it just really helps you understand how brain how a child's brain develops how how a child's brain works when it's under stress And how our role is to really, our most important role is to make them feel safe, but most importantly, Give them a demonstration of what it looks like to regulate pain. Give them a demonstration of what it looks like to regulate stress and emotion when it, when times are difficult. Because yep. when their world is going to shit, they look to us and they go, like, ah. and if they look at us and, and we're going, ah, they're like, okay, nothing's fucking safe. Ah, no, yeah,
1: I'm whereas in danger. they're losing
0: their shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they can look at us and no matter what happens, they can go, oh, well, mum's actually okay.
1: Yeah, I can calm down. I can
0: calm down. I'm all right. It's okay. Oh, She's my sense. rock. She's my center. So when the world is a little bit topsy-turvy, there's got to be one person I can lean on who's not topsy-turvy. Yeah. And that demonstrates them how to regulate.
1: Well, then I probably need to be like my mum. If I'm like her, I'll yep. be fine. Well, you'll find a balance, I'm sure. You yeah. know, you'll be the Less you'll like be the that. perfect <laughs> mum that you
0: need to be. <laughs> you know, to, to give your child, you know, what required. But um, a guy said to me the other day, great quote. He said, you know, it's it, it's out, it, it, The time is now to pass down wisdom, not wounds. <sighs> you know, beautiful. I'm, yeah, no, no kidding. it right? wasn't mine. I wish I could claim it. So what you're going to have a baby? We've got four months to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of vocal tension there. Uh, yeah, 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 a little bit excited. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but nervous—that's for sure. So do we know if it's a boy or a girl yet? Well,
1: we think uh, it looks like a boy on the twelve-week scan. Okay. So we we yet to have the next one. So it's my husband's like jumping up and down, going, "I'm going to have a little fireman. <laughs> He's got a little fireman outfit already. <laughs> I'm like, "Oh God, here we uh, go.
0: Every kid wants to be a fireman. That's <laughs> awesome. So what's next for you, Lisa? Like you've got a, you've got yep. you've got the baby coming. You've got some another book coming. Yes,
1: yeah, so i i still working with Mum yep. every day, all day. So she's, uh, you know, coming out over here. This is the first time I've left her for three days. Oh wow! Yeah. So like, that's how highly I value you. Oh, thank being on you. your show. seriously, I really wanted to come meet you. Thank you so much. And and she was been. She said she'd be good while I was away. She'd yeah. do her job. She'd do her <laughs> discipline. So I'm, I'm the police. Say I'm the fun police. I'll be ringing up and go, have you done this? Have you had your green smoothie today? Have you done your training? Yeah, right. But um, so mum's still very much the, the centre of the focus and obviously baby's going to come into that. Uh, but r- business is my world and staying fit and fit in a different way, though. Yeah. Now I love CrossFit-type workouts. Yeah, right. Because you look workouts. like you've got more muscle now. Yeah, I do. I yeah. do have a lot more muscle. Yep. Um, just because I'm loving the gym and I'm loving the change. And I, um, I've i stopped doing the long-distance running because I actually was working. We do something called epigenetics as our, part of our coaching program. Yeah, right. And I, f- I found out I was working against my genetics. I was like, I should be doing short, sharp, high-intensity workouts, and that's where I'm and actually healthiest. Off. And I'm like, man... I've worked against my genetics my whole life, if you like. And, yeah, you can do it, but yep. I feel healthier, actually stronger, fitter on less.
0: I, I encourage everyone to get their epigenetic profile done. Have if you done it, it? Yeah, I just had oh it done man. recently. And what's interesting. Exactly. Yeah yeah, yeah, what yeah, 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 that's what we do. Yeah, that's what we do. So you do the coaching yeah, 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 with that? Yeah. So you know Cam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah He's right. been
1: on my podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually He's writing for my, my book.
0: Cam's actually doing, um, I've got a consultation with him later today. But oh, what's crazy. interesting is it took me 40... Forty six, I say forty. Fuck, how old am I? Forty four years <laughs> for me to naturally work out what my body required. But like you, I am just not made for for distance. No. But I used to try so hard when I was young. <laughs> Welcome to my oh, world. Oh, but I now look and you York Because you're an e- endomorph, is that right? No, I'm Ecto-
1: an um, I'm a I'm a activator, which activator. is a mesomorph. So very mesomorph. muscular. Yeah, right. That's it. Top. Mesomorph. That's yeah, it. So I'm a diplomat. Yeah, oh, you're a diplomat, not my husband. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, right. Well, you should be good at endurancing.
0: No, well, no, I'm coming up towards the activator. Is it the activator side? Uh, Oh, yeah, around the other side. it around the other (laughs) side. Well, anyway, I've only just had it done, so I'm still learning. I'm learning how to walk. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I should be training like in oh, the m- middle amazing. of the day, short sharp bursts. Yeah, because I just oh, I suck at anything endurance. Yeah, yeah. Well, the
1: funny thing is, so do I, and I'm really good at the sh- at the weight training, at you know, that's crazy. Uh, body, and I feel healthier, I feel stronger, yeah. and I've done you know, major damage to my kidneys, so I didn't want to end up on dialysis, so I stopped doing the ultras, and of course I didn't have 30 hours a week anymore to dedicate to training because Holy of crap. mum. Yeah. So that was the end of that, and that's fine. I've done 25 years of it. And what else am I going to do? So
0: what's What's the name of the book you've got coming out? Relentless. Relentless. Yeah,
1: and I've got two other books, Running Hot and yep. Running to Extremes. Um, and but Relentless is probably out in about three months' time. And it's 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 teaching the principles that I use to apply and like why why did Mum beat the odds? Why did she come back? How did I, you know, do it? Like not this do step one, that's step two, but yeah. more the attitude that I took, the psychology, the way the medical system works, and the holes in the system, and get, you know the you know pharmaceutical companies and all that sort of crap uh, go into briefly in, in the story. But it's more about you know taking control yourself. If you're because I had a couple of books that were real guides to me. There's a book that you would love. Dr. Norman Doidge, The Brain That Changes Itself. Oh, great book. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, well, that was my guiding light because I understood that neuroplasticity is a real thing, that even a 77-year-old lady can experience this change. Um, And and so my encouragement to people who have brain injuries or who've had strokes or concussions or whatever, is to, you know, keep fighting and not give up and find your own way because the medical system won't give you the answers that mm. you need to have. And that's pretty much across the board. That's so They're powerful. good at breaking, you know, if you've got a broken leg. Great for trauma. for trauma. Very good you need surgery,
0: you know, if you need to be put back together, They're fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. But as
1: far as chronic illness goes or things like this, it's um, look outside the box.
0: I love that. What a great way to finish. Best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh,
1: that comes from my mum too. I remember standing at the start line of the run through New Zealand, which was 2,250 kilometres, and I was trying to do like 500 k's a week, and it was the biggest thing I'd ever done distance-wise in such a short period. And I hadn't really thought because I was so busy preparing and, you know, getting everything ready and all the blah, blah. And I was standing on the start line and had a physical panic attack. And I went over to my mum and had a big balling session, as you do, away from the crew. And I said, Mum, I can't do this. I can't, I can't do this. I'm freaking out. You know, it's 2,000. How am I going to do this? And she said to me the best piece of advice was don't look at the 2,200. Look at that first power pole up there. Mm. That's all you've got to do right now. Get to that first power pole. Look get, look to getting through the first half an hour. We'll worry about the rest later, and that's really some great advice. Break it down into small, manageable chunks. Yes, have a big goal, a big scary, hairy goal out there, but then break it down. And I know you teach this in your mm. stuff too. I've been learning. Um, break it down into manageable size chunks of what can you do today? What action step can you take right now that's going to get you closer? And don't look at that big goal every day because you'll just be overwhelmed. It's and Crushing not be able sometimes. To go. Totally, yeah. it is. You know, and the same in business. You know, like I've got like you know. What did you say the other day I watched one of your videos? You, you know, Have your big yearly 70, 80 things on your list that you yep. want to do this year and then break it down into quarters, then break it down into weeks, then break it down into days. But first and things first,
0: have your mission. What are you trying to do in 10 years? Yeah. Yeah, start at the top. Have
1: your mission yep. and then break it down from there. That's
0: it, reverse engineering.
1: Yep. and then grind away.
0: Lisa, this <laughs> has been so enjoyable. We're going to definitely have to get you back. Lisa Tamati, I got that right, didn't I? Yeah. It's, it's, Tamati. 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 It's pretty good, mate. Lisa Tamati <laughs> from uh, from Kiota, New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> from hello, New Zealand. That's terrible. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Lisa Lisa Tamati on Unstoppable. Lisa, yep. thank you so much for thank coming you. down. Thank
1: you. And if anyone wants to find out about oh, me. Oh, yes. Where can we find out about please? you? Please. Yeah. Hop over. I've got a running coaching company. I've yep. got a uh, body transformation. What is transformation. it? Give us a... So runninghotcoaching.com. Yep. Runninghotcoaching.com. Yeah. And Lisa where all Tom my com. programs reside. T-A-M-A-T-I? A-T-I, yeah. And your books? Uh, running Hot, yeah. Running to Extremes, and the new one coming out shortly is Relentless. And oh, I'd love to wait. hear if anyone's got any questions or anything. Give me a out or, or hit me Lisa up on Instagram. Yeah, what's your Instagram? Uh, just yeah. at Lisa Tamati. At Lisa Tamati.
0: Yeah. Lisa, you are unstoppable. You're the epitome of unstoppable. Thank <laughs> you for so much for coming in. Great to have you over. Thanks,
1: mate.
0: It's awesome. Hey, everybody. It's Kerwin Ray here, your host from Unstoppable. And in today's episode, we interview the incredible Lisa Tamati. Now in this episode, Lisa talked to us um, about her pregnancy and that she was um, having surrogated through another woman and I'm here to let you know with great sadness that uh, Lisa's baby Joseph unfortunately didn't make it. We are in close communication with Lisa and supporting her and her family through this tough time. She's a fighter, as you know, as you would have seen from this podcast, but I thought it appropriate to share this news with you so that you can perhaps reach out yourself and send a bit of love her way. I'm sure you could imagine in times like this, things can feel tough, but I couldn't think of anyone tougher to be dealing with a situation like this than Lisa, Lisa, love is with you, our thoughts are with you, and we're here
1: for you anytime you need us. Big love to you, sister.